This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. Recording Scott File inside the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. It's a Thursday drive to work coming up at 7.30. Ryan Aber, our OU insider from the Daily Oklahoman. Clark Frederick, head football coach at Union at 7.50 today as they play one of the more important games of the season in high school football against Owasso this weekend. At 7.12, we are pleased to welcome to our hotline a friend, Dan Hort, play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bearcats and the Bengals. And my friend, it's going to be, I cannot imagine what it's going to be like at Cincinnati when Oklahoma rolls in for the first Big 12 game. First of all, welcome. Second of all, describe what you think it'll be like. Well, thanks for having me on, Rick. I think it's going to be awesome. Fans here have anticipated this game for months, first, after Cincinnati officially entered the Big 12 on July 1st. But then, as soon as the schedule came out and Cincinnati fans learned that their first ever Big 12 game would be at home against Oklahoma, it was like, whoa. Uh, In one sense, thank you, Big 12, for the opportunity. In a second sense, did you really have to send Oklahoma (laughs) to be our first ever Big 12 opponent? But it's going to be incredible. It'll be one of the biggest games in the history of Nippert Stadium. That's saying something because Nippert Stadium has existed since 1915. Right, and we've seen some incredible crowds, the game day crowd with Tulsa and Cincinnati, the championship crowd with Tulsa and Cincinnati, and certainly you've seen others. Remind people, stadium capacity, and when we go to SRO, standing room, as the buildings around there fill up and the other things, what kind of numbers you think you'll see? It seats about 40,000, and you can't pack too many in beyond uh, capacity because it is a very small footprint. You've been there, so you know what the stadium looks like. It's a big bowl in the middle of campus, uh, surrounded by all the academic buildings. It's been called the Wrigley Field of college football. Others have compared it to Duke Cameron uh, Indoor Stadium where Duke plays basketball. It's intimate, it's unique, and it's going to be tremendous on Saturday. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And some of the uh, the buildings around there, the school buildings, Dan's talking about, I I wouldn't be surprised if they're not selling window seats right there in some of those buildings (laughs) for this one. And I think it probably pumps it up even a little more, doesn't it, Dan, that Oklahoma's only one more. I mean, this is it. They're only a year in the league. Likely, other than a bowl game, maybe the only chance the Bearcats will have to play them. I'll be honest with you, Rick. I'm not even sure that most of the fan base even knows that. Certainly the insiders do. They know that uh, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. But for the casual fan, I'm not sure that that's going to arrive on their uh, doorstep until those two schools depart. They just know that Oklahoma is one of the greatest programs in the history of college football with all the national championships and all the Heisman Trophy winners. And uh, because of that, this game has taken on uh, a life of its own. 7.15 on the Blitz 11.70. Dan Horde, play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cincinnati Bearcats with us here on the Blitz 11.70. Rick Corey with Scott File. This may be kind of an unfair question or maybe a question hard to answer, but as you mentioned, this is the first Big 12 uh, game in program history, and we've only seen just, you know, three non-conference games so far. Do you think this program is ready to officially take that first step into the Big 12? Well, you're right. That is hard to answer. Um, The problem that Cincinnati has when it comes to this particular game is just it comes at a time of great uh, transition for the University of Cincinnati. Luke Fickle left for Wisconsin. A bunch of players transferred out, which nowadays happens when you have a coaching change. They brought 33 new scholarship players in. Now, a lot of these guys are really good players that came from big-time programs and were four- and five-star recruits. So they've got good guys, but it's early in the transition period. I like the new head coach, Scott Satterfield, uh, but things are still coming together, as was demonstrated over the last couple of weeks. They went on the road and beat Pitt. 
when Pitt was just outside of the top 25, tremendous victory. Then they came home and they lost in overtime to Miami of Ohio, a team they had defeated 16 consecutive times. So I'm not quite sure what to expect on Saturday, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly not selling them short. They do have a lot of really good players and I like this coaching staff. Yeah, I wanted to get into Scott Satterfield. I got a chance to be around just a little bit at Big 12 Media Day um, and Day Media Days. Very, very nice, very respectable young guy. I say young, everybody's young to me, but I mean, he, he just, he, I mean, he seems like he kind of assumed the role with no issue. Certainly a different personality than Luke Fickle, though. What do you expect from Scott Satterfield? What kind of differences have you seen so far, Dan? Luke Fickle is a defensive minded coach. Scott Satterfield is an offensive-minded coach. He had really creative offensive schemes when he was the head coach at Appalachian State and then at Louisville, where Malik Cunningham was his quarterback and was one of the great dual-threat quarterbacks in the history of college football. He had 70 touchdown passes and 50 touchdown runs in his career at Louisville. So that's what Scott Satterfield brings to the table. It's one of the things Cincinnati was looking for in its next head coach. Uh, They brought in Emory Jones to be the starting quarterback. He started at Florida a couple of years ago, and uh, he is a dual-threat quarterback. He had 265 passing yards and 101 rushing yards last week in that loss to Miami. So it has been fun to watch so far. And Satterfield's personality-wise, I mean, he seems – he kind of looks like a football professor to me when I see him, as opposed to Luke Fickle, who who looks like a guy who played the game violently and then loves coaching it. I mean, (laughs) is is that uh, personality-wise, what are the differences there, Dan? Yeah, that's a pretty good description. Luke Fickle was one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of Ohio high school wrestling. They said he could have been an Olympic wrestler. Scott Satterfield is not going to be viewed by anybody as an Olympic wrestler. He does have the kind of professorial look and kind of a Mayberry drawl to him. So it's a, it's a very different personality, but he is a super nice guy. I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I've enjoyed getting to know him. And when he got the job, I reached out to all of my friends that I knew knew him, mm-hmm. uh, including the Bengals trainer who was with him at Louisville for several years, so he knew him extremely well. And every single person I reached out to said, you're going to love this guy. Uh, the players will love him. His staff will love him. And that's what I've found to be true so far. Yeah, that's great. I mean, he seemed that way, certainly, at Big 12 Media Day. I'm glad you brought up Emory Jones. I wanted to as well. In today's transfer world, you just never know. People are zipping around left and right. So when I first heard the name, I went, wait a minute, didn't he play at? And then I went back and, and took a look. So far, his numbers have been pretty good. He's completing almost 67% of his passes. He's thrown for about just under 800 yards. Your assessment of his play early on, you seem fairly impressed. I think he's been really good. And it's interesting nowadays, you know, Emory Jones is in his sixth college season. He's with his third school. People make negative assumptions when they hear that, like there's some sort of problem there. And in his case, nothing could be further from the truth. He went to Florida. He was behind Kyle Trask for a couple of years. Then he won the starting job a couple of years ago, played pretty well, not great, But Anthony Richardson came in, and Anthony Richardson was the fourth pick in the draft this year for a reason. He's an unbelievable talent. So now Emory's back on the bench uh, after being one of the top recruits in the country. So he transferred to Arizona State for an opportunity. They fire the head coach three games into the season. The school is a mess. Uh, He wants to have a good senior year somewhere. So he's friendly with Malik Cunningham. He saw that the the track record that Malik had playing for Scott Satterfield, and really that's how he wound up at Cincinnati. He's a wonderful guy. He was named a team captain. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to know him. So I, I wish him nothing but the best. I think he's off to a very good start.
And then I noticed that, you know, I was looking at Pro Football Focus and some of the rankings. A couple of your receivers, especially Xavier Henderson, ranked. He's is around 35 right now. Numbers-wise, looks good. Your receiving core seems to be a strength. Is that accurate? It is, and it's a surprise because they lost two NFL draft picks last year and seven wide receivers transferred out. So <laughs> they lost nine guys from the group. There was literally one player left who was in the wide receiver room last year, and he's really not one of the, the key contributors. So all of these guys are either high school recruits or transfers, and they've put together an excellent group. Uh, it's a very pleasant surprise, and it is led by Xavier Henderson, his final four choices coming out of high school were Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Florida. <laughs> he went to Florida. He led the Gators in receiving last year. So he's a big-time talent. Uh, Emory Jones helped recruit him as a transfer to Cincinnati. They had played together at Florida a couple of years ago. So not only is Emory doing a nice job at quarterback, but he's been a good recruiter as well. Yeah, and Braden Smith seems to be doing well. And when I look at your numbers, you know, we, we talk about balance a lot in football, and we always try to explain balance doesn't mean 50-50 running passing. It means equally effective. Your numbers are fairly close running passing. I know you've had a successful running attack in years past. How are you assessing balance right now offensively? They've had a 100-yard rusher in every game this season. Corey Connor topped 100-yard rushing mark in each of the first two games, and Ryan Montgomery did it last week. Henry Jones also had 100-plus last week. So the balance has been good. That's one of the things about Scott Satterfield over the last four years at Louisville. They averaged 200-plus passing yards and 200-plus rushing yards every season, the only team in college football to do that. So that's always been a hallmark of his offensive approach. Dan Hord's with us. He is a play-by-play voice of the Cincinnati Bearcats and Bengals at 722 here on the Blitz 1170. Just a couple of more minutes here with Dan. All right, so as you mentioned, Luke Fickle was a very – and we've kind of covered the offense. Now, before we leave the offense, is there any other specific points about it you think are worth uh, uh, noting for Oklahoma fans to pay attention to? Well, I think the big challenge is going to be up front because it's a rebuilt offensive line. They've only got one guy back. In fact, he's the only offensive starter back from last year, and it's the center, Gavin Gerhardt. So the other guys are new. They've played pretty well in the first three games, but they haven't faced a team like Oklahoma. So for me, that might be the single biggest question going into the game. So let's go and flip to defense. As you mentioned, Luke Fickle, very much a defensive guy. Scott Satterfield, more of an offensive guy. Now, that doesn't mean you don't still have a good defense. I mean, you certainly do. But when a head coach is focused on something, like Brent Venables at Oklahoma, there's, there tends to be attention. How has this defense changed uh, now that Luke Fickle's gone? The style is a little bit different because the new defensive coordinator came with Scott Satterfield from Louisville. His name is Brian Brown. And last year, Louisville led the nation in sacks with 50 and tied for second in takeaways. He's a very aggressive type of defensive coordinator, likes to bring pressure from all over the place. Three down linemen, uh, stand-up edge rusher, and you never know where the pressure's coming from. Now, so far this season, it hasn't really lived up to that description all that much, partly because of the teams they've played against Eastern Kentucky in their season opener. It was a route they didn't want to show anything. Um, against Pitt, they really didn't have to play that way because they were getting a ton of pressure with the three- and four-man rushing. But it's something to be aware of this week. Uh, they may have to you know, pull out all the stops to try to slow down Dylan Gabriel, so that'll be interesting to see. But the defense is led by a really good defensive line. I think it's one of the best in the Big 12. They've got All-American Dante Corleone, known as the godfather in the 
middle of the defense. He is a great player. And then uh, in addition to the godfather, we have the father of three, <laughs> Juwan Briggs, who is a married father of three, and he is almost as good as Dante Corleone. So you've got one of the better defensive tackle combos in college football. Yeah, and some great names too. You got you know, you're, you know you got a 16 tackles from Jack Dingle. I mean, that's just a great name for football, my friend. <laughs> He's a really good player as well. Young guy, still learning the linebacker position, but uh, tremendous athlete. Great sideline to sideline speed. He's been really good the last couple of weeks. So I know as you're preparing, you're you're kind of looking over as you mentioned there are certain matchups and things, and that's what all sports are about. When you see these two teams matched up, where do you think Cincinnati has the best matchup? And you already mentioned that offensive-defensive line. Where might the worst matchup be? Wow. I mean, there are a few that concern me. Certainly the offensive line versus Oklahoma is a big one. And the secondary against Oklahoma's passing attack, it's not that I don't think Cincinnati's secondary is good. I think they've got some really good players there. But Oklahoma's been so prolific the first few weeks. Cincinnati has seen Dylan Gabriel before, twice, when he was the starting quarterback for the University of Central Florida, so we're very familiar with him. But based on what I've watched so far with Oklahoma, the pace is so crazy fast, and Dylan Gabriel is playing so well so far. Uh, We'll see if the Cincinnati secondary can hold up. Best matchup for you? I'll say the defensive line, just because those are the best players are on the team. Uh, Oklahoma's offensive line is excellent so it's not like I'm you know saying anything negative about them but Dante Corleone's going to play in the NFL Juwan Briggs has a decent chance of playing in the NFL Eric Phillips and Malik Van and others are really good players so that's that's the area that Cincinnati probably matches up best in. All right, and then you know we talked about the atmosphere just a little bit, and I've, as you said, I've been very fortunate to be there for it a couple of times, and it's just so fantastic. I'm going to miss our trips up there, as a matter of fact. Is you is there any way you think you could put a point? All right, so if if the home crowd is worth three points, five points, six points, seven points, and I've seen studies that say all that, but it's a little different in Cincinnati. What do you think the crowd's worth there? Well, it's definitely worth at least three. I mean, if Vegas says that the home crowd is typically worth worth three, then it's worth more than that at Cincinnati mm-hmm. because the atmosphere is great and the student section is unique. It's a, <laughs> basically a, a quarter of the stadium is just going to be jumping up and down and pulsating throughout uh, with that, that uh, student section to the open side of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Now, the noon kick here, 11 o'clock Oklahoma time, uh, maybe takes that down a notch. It might not be quite as rowdy as it is for a night game here. They call it Nippet Night at Nippert Stadium when we play at night, and it's really crazy then. But uh, because it's Oklahoma and because it's the first Big 12 game, I think it's going to be pretty special on Saturday. I would think so. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Bengals before we leave. I know Burrow has got some other injuries, and it was bad. It was it was too bad to see him get hurt early on. Uh, I was a little confused after that first game. I'm sure the Bengals were as well. What's your assessment after a couple of games? It's all about Joe Burrow. He missed five weeks of training camp with a calf injury. He wasn't sharp in week one. Lousy weather conditions in Cleveland probably contributed to that. He was better last week, but on the next-to-last play offensively for the Bengals, he threw a touchdown pass on his final play of the day. But on the play before that, he tweaked the calf. So they haven't practiced the last couple of days because they play on Monday night football this week. We'll see them go out to practice today. I've got my fingers crossed that Joe is going to be able to take part 
because they're 0-2 and they need a win. They started 0-2 last year and they won the division and they made it to the AFC Championship game, but it's hard to do that in back-to-back years. They really, really need a win on Monday night. Yeah, it would be it would be nice to see. And we're all pulling. I think I think the world's pulling for Joe Burrow. He just seems to be a, a fun guy to watch. Dan, I know you're busy and you've got other things to do. Go get him. I appreciate your time. And thanks very much for the visit. should be a wonderful day on Saturday. Rick, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.